You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our sermon this afternoon, we have two readings from God's Word, both from the letters of Paul. We'll first turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Our text is also from this book of Ephesians and this Passage from Ephesians 1 will help to set the context. Beautiful words that the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And then we'll turn also to Colossians chapter 1, where we have the thanksgiving and prayer of Paul for the Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's truth, God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our text this afternoon is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, the verses 14 through 19. But if I may, I'd like to read with you a few, a few verses from chapter 2 to begin with, a few verses that are very important to our text, and that's the verses 21 and 22. You'll see that the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he cuts off for half a chapter, and then he comes back at 14, for this reason. So the reason is given in these verses 21 and 22, and that's why I'd like to read them with you. So Ephesians 2 at verse 21 to begin. He's been talking about Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone upon whom the foundation of the church is built. He says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And then we go to 3 verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ and guests who are here with us on this joyful occasion, those we're able to participate also by watching over the live feed. The Apostle Paul in the verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2 is talking about a temple. And temple, this idea of temple is one that's, that's very fitting on this day of Easter because it was on Easter morning that the temple was rebuilt. Let me just give you a quick overview of, of how Scripture deals with this theme of temple. It does already from the very beginning. When Solomon built his temple in Jerusalem, he, he inside he decorated it with, with pictures of, of trees and, and almonds and pomegranates and, and natural beauty. He, he decorated it just like a garden. And that's because if we go back right to the the beginning, we know that God at the very beginning placed His children in a temple, which was the Garden of Eden, which itself was in a temple, God's creation. God's whole creation is a temple. It's built for the purpose of giving Him praise and glory. And now when Adam and Eve sinned, that temple was broken. And history went on, and at one point, God commanded the Israelites to build the tabernacle, and then David himself wanted to build a temple, and that was fulfilled in Solomon, who built a temple, only that temple was destroyed. And then the Israelites built another temple, which was then subsequently destroyed. Just before the time that Jesus came into the world, Herod 
built a third temple in Jerusalem. But when the Lord Jesus came into this world, he said, I am the temple. He said to the Jews, and they didn't understand what he was saying, but he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it up again. And they said, it took us over 40 years to build a temple. What are you talking about? Well, he was pointing to himself. He said, I am the temple. And on Good Friday, they destroyed the temple. And three days later on Easter morning, he built it up again. As the temple rose again from the dead, Jesus is the temple, the risen Christ is the temple. He is where we go to worship God. And, Jesus teaches us, we, the congregation, the church of Jesus Christ, are in Him, together with Him, God's temple. We come together to worship God. His church is the temple. You all, as members of Christ, are being built together to become a temple of God, to become that which promotes His praise and glory and presence in the world. You are all individually temples of the Lord, houses of God where God lives by His Spirit. And we all together are temples of the Lord, houses where God lives by His Spirit. You, young brothers and sisters, are temples of the Lord, houses where God lives by His Spirit. And now it's a bit of a funny thing. It took me a while this week to figure this out. We're talking about temples within a temple. And that's what Paul is is talking about in Ephesians. He's talking about you are all individually temples, and as you come all together, you are temples. You are all individually houses, and as you come together, you're houses. And I was trying to wrap my mind around, what's a house within a house? What do you call that? Is that like a house in a neighborhood, or a house in a, a subdivision? Or And then finally, this morning, it, it came to me just like that. It's just like an apartment building. That's, that's what the church, that's what the temple of God is like. It's like an apartment building. It's like a house within a house. A, a great big house, the church, and all of us individually are houses, temples, within the church. Now, you all know, if you live in a house with anyone else, it takes a lot to get along together in a house. Brothers and sisters are always fighting, children and parents. It takes a lot to get together and to live your individual lives. Well, how much more to get together and to live a life with one single purpose, which is praising and glorifying God. That's hard. Now you take a bunch of houses and you put them all together and we all have to together stay focused on that one purpose of praising and glorifying God. That is very, very difficult. In our apartment buildings, we put up walls and locks and and you don't see your neighbors a lot. In the temple of God, we live all together with everyone's sin mess and lives. But we are all to achieve the one purpose that God has given us, which is to praise and glorify Him in this world. Well, that's going to take a lot of prayer. And that's our theme this afternoon. As members of God's household, you're going to need a lot of prayer. 
as members of God's household, you are going to need a lot of prayer. Now, you are already members of God's household, but now you're taking another step in maturity, of of growth, of profession in Christ, and becoming, in a further way, members of God's household. And you've already seen the connection in our text where Paul is praying this prayer for because we are all together being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So that's what this prayer of Paul is all about. And that's what we'll consider this afternoon. As members of God's household, you'll need a lot of prayer. You'll need strength from the Spirit. You'll need Christ in your heart. You'll need love in your grasp. You'll need to grasp this incredibly wide and expansive thing, which is Christ's love. And you'll need to make this your own in your life. You'll need love in your heart. And you'll need to become nothing less than the fullness of God. So first, you'll need strength from the Spirit. In spite of how difficult it is to actually achieve the ideal of church, that we would all together come together, work together toward the same purpose... It's not at all a hopeless cause. It's very difficult. But it's not a hopeless cause. And it's not hopeless because our eyes should not be focused on ourselves or on, on the material that we have to work with. I don't know if, if this is going to work. It shouldn't be focused even on the building itself, on the church. But our eyes should be focused on God, the builder. He's the one who's going to make sure that this happens. And he equips his people with, as we read in this prayer here in the first place, with riches. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. His riches are a spirit, a storehouse of spiritual resources and grace that the Father is only too willing to spread around liberally, liberally building materials for this house, for this temple. And Paul uses this word elsewhere in Ephesians to speak about the substance of God's grace in Jesus Christ. God has this huge storehouse of of grace, like a building supply store, except everything in there is free. You just have to come to Him and ask for it, and He'll give you what you need to build this house. Well, the first thing that Paul prays for as he comes to the Father, is that God would strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Praise for strength from the Spirit. Now, power, we read elsewhere in Ephesians, is actually belongs to God. This, this word for power, it originates in God. God is the one who has the power. But God gives the power to His people through His Holy Spirit. Just like power in apartment building comes in through electrical lines. That's really how God works. We often think that God gives us power individually into our hearts. But what God actually does is how it works in apartment building, where the power comes into the building first of all, into the church first of all, and through the church to all of us. We receive the power from God that we need as we come together as church. 
But what's this power for? Well, it's power in the inner being. The inner being is, is the spiritual, mental, and emotional faculties that, that believers have and that they need help with. And of course, the contrast here between inner being is with outer being. You don't need power in your outer being for this work. You don't need a big muscles, big displays of force, a big stockpile of, of weapons or, or something to, to force stuff to happen. No, what, where you need power to become a living member of Christ's church is inside. And you need supernatural power for that. You need the power to change your thoughts and your desires, your feelings. You need the power to sanctify them, to purify them. That's the kind of power that God gives and, and allows you uh, to be built up. That allows you to be built up into a temple that glorifies God. And what this power is for, it's supernatural power. It's power from God, power from the Holy Spirit. It's for ordinary, constant strengthening. To live and work for Christ. To live what on the outside is a normal life. But on the inside is one that's being renewed every day. Now, it's far more impressive from a worldly standpoint to have a big muscles or, or financial prestige or fame or political influence. Paul's not worried about that as he's praying for the Ephesians and as he's praying for all of us. Paul is focused on the ordinary, faithful service to Christ that you're going to need tremendous power for. It's supernatural strengthening. It's strengthening from God. That's what we need. To be ordinary Christians in an ordinary church. To serve God in just a regular, faithful way. Daily being built up and sanctified it's, it's precisely here where ordinary Christians are in an ordinary church living ordinary lives that God has chosen to do His most unordinary, powerful, and supernatural work in changing your heart, making you become more like Christ. Ultimately, what this power is for is for building up the church, building up God's temple in this world. Remember, that's what this prayer is all about. He's praying for the power that comes from the Holy Spirit because we are all together fellow citizens with God's people. Because we're members of God's household. So we need strength from the Spirit. We also need, Paul goes on to say, Christ in our hearts. Christ in our hearts. That's his his second prayer in this section. But what is... His prayer is really that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Well, what does that mean? We actually use those words a lot, I think. Christ may dwell in your hearts. But what does that actually mean? Well, we know that Christ and His Spirit dwell in your heart at the same time. In fact, Christ dwells in your heart through His Spirit, the Bible teaches us. So, to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, as Paul prayed in the first part of this prayer is to have Christ dwelling in you, as Paul prays in the second part. So it's it's very similar, but looking at this Christ may dwell in your heart is going to help us work this out. What does it mean? Well, let's focus on that word dwell, that Christ may dwell. That word dwells about taking up residence, making, making it a home for Christ. When people move into a new place, 
perhaps particularly women like to do this, they start changing everything. They want to turn it from a house into a home. And so they'll change the rooms around, they'll put in new furniture, they'll renovate, they'll make it an extension of themselves, a part of themselves. Well, that's what Christ is doing in your hearts when he dwells in you. He's doing a total home makeover. He's making you take out all the rubbish, all the garbage, useless stuff laying around that you don't need anymore. Pride, arrogance, greed, sexual immorality, lust, envy, slander, discord, jealousy, all those things. That's rubbish. He's going to clean it out. And he does a complete home makeover. And he doesn't just rearrange the furniture. He does a complete renovation of your heart. Taking out those old things and putting in new things. What he's bringing in for this renovation are the fruits of the Spirit. He's bringing in love and and joy. And he's going to adorn it all with with peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. When Christ dwells in your heart, He's going to become the, the master of your heart. He's going to become the homeowner of your heart. The head of the household, the general contractor, He's going to be the one who's going to call the shots. He's going to make sure that things are done according to His plan. And His, his plan is right here. It's, it's in His Word. That's His plan for your hearts. Christ is making your, your, your heart a proper dwelling. He's purifying it from the inside out, making us more and more like Himself, more holy. And the goal of this is the unity and fellowship of the church. He's doing this so that all together we might be doing this and living in harmony. So that we can, with one mind and one heart, serve God and carry out His work in the world, glorify Him. Christ is doing this renovation in our hearts to make our hearts more hospitable toward people, to make us more welcome, welcoming, more caring, more loving. This way, Christ is building up His church to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So Christ, the second thing that Paul prays for is that Christ would dwell in your hearts, would, would do this renovation work in your hearts. Third thing he prays for is that you might have love in your grasp, that you might be able to understand this love. That, as he says, we all together, all together, don't miss those words there. I pray that you, in the second half of verse 17, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. The starting point for grasping Christ's love is that you yourself need to be rooted and established in love. You need to be rooted in love. Love has to be like the fertile soil in which communal growth in Christ is possible. Just like a lawn, especially this time of year, needs good nutrients to to feed the individual pieces of grass. So the church must be well fertilized so that we all individually can grow and that all together as, as one building, as one temple, can grow to become pleasing to God. 
We need love for that. We need to be rooted in God's love. It needs to be all around us. And we need to be established in God's love. That brings us back to the building metaphor. A house, a good house, is always built on a solid foundation. A true Christian love, self-sacrificial love, the love that Jesus Christ himself showed us when he gave his life for us, is the foundation for a well-built temple. And so with this soil and this foundation, Paul prays that, that the Ephesians and we and all of you would be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And as Paul is saying this, he, he's reaching for a way to, to talk about how great Christ's love is. How many other words could he use? Christ's love is immense. It's, it's vast. You can spend your whole life learning about it, growing in, in the different aspects of it, in the depth of it, in the height, in the breadth. He's just reaching for a way to describe this love. How wide is it? Well, Christ gave His life out of a love for everyone from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. How long is it? Well, Christ was promised immediately after the fall into sin, and He bided His time until the incarnation, when He came to earth as a man. And He lived a perfect life, and He died, and He rose again, and He ascended into heaven, and He's still there at the right hand of God, where He will be building His church until it is complete in its fullness. That's how long Christ's love is. Longer than we can imagine. How deep, while well, Christ descended into the depths of hellish agony while on the cross. And after He gave up His life for us, He was buried in the ground. He died and was buried for us. That's how deep His love is. How high is His love? Well, after the Father lifted Him out of the grave, what we celebrate today, and vindicated Him as the victorious conquering King, He ascended into heaven. And from heaven, He pours out His gifts. He pours out His riches of grace on the church. And there He mediates for us as high priest before the Father, the very throne of God the Father above, where He reigns over this whole world as King. That's how high His love is. That's how wide and long and deep and high is the love of Christ. And in fact, it's wider and longer and deeper and higher than that. You can spend your whole life learning. You'll never capture it all. How vast is the love of Christ? How incredible is the love of Christ? That's why we need to grow all together, continually, growing in this precious love of Christ. That's why we come together as a church so that we can together learn, so that we can hear from God's Word and grow in our understanding of the love of Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's what you'll need to do, having made your profession of faith. You'll need to continue to be a living, active, communicant member of this church, continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ's love. Not only growing in knowledge, but being the church.
being among those who glorify God in this world, coming together in the Spirit, in Christ, growing together, teaching each other what Jesus Christ has done for us. How vast and extravagant and momentous His love really is. And this love has to remain not only just out there or even up here. It needs to filter down into our whole life. It has to grow in our mind. It also has to grow in our experience. And that is, in fact, what Paul is praying when he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You have to realize that know often in the Bible has this has a sense of relationship to it. We think of know in terms of know certain facts and dates and things like that. But a biblical sense of know is more like learn, come to experience, work out in our lives, know in relationship with God. That's what Paul's talking about here. This knowing is through the experience of relationship. It's it's the, the love of Christ that we're learning in our mind and then through the trials and the tribulations and the, the joys and the sadnesses of life, having it filter down into our hearts, putting it into practice, relying, in fact, on this love at every turn. For example, it's one thing to know, as we talked about this year in, in class, the Canons of Dort, that we are totally corrupt And that salvation is only by the grace of God. It's very important to know that. It's good to know that. But it's entirely another thing to be on your knees before God with regret in your mind and and Satan hurling accusations of you that you're not good enough to be a child of God and you've done it again. You're wrong. You're a sinner. Your mind and your heart are reeling because of your sins. Your body is racked with sorrows. Your eyes are pouring out tears of remorse and repentance. And then, to fling yourself on Christ entirely, completely on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins, because there's nowhere else to go. You know that you're corrupt, but you know that salvation is entirely by God's grace. You've learned many things through many years. It remains for you to to live them and to learn them through living them out, to having them filter down from your mind into your whole life. And then we come to the last petition that Paul prays that you might He says, be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We get a sense that that must be an amazing thing. But what does it mean? What is the fullness of God? Well, other passages teach us that in fact Christ is the fullness of God. Ephesians 1 verse 23. God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church, which is His body the fullness of Him. The church is the fullness of Christ. And Christ is the one who fills everything in every way. So Christ is the fullness. And so, you could say that this prayer is that you might be filled to the measure of Christ. That you might be filled to the to the brim with Christ. That Christ would fill you up. And that's precisely right. 
And Paul actually further teaches us what that means in Ephesians 4, verse 13. When again, he's talking about the fullness. And he says in, in verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. What happens then? Then we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity. What Paul is praying here is not that this has been complete, or even that it will ever be complete in your life, but that it would ever grow, that you would become more full and full and full of Christ. Not only you, young brothers and sisters, but all of us together, that we would be filled up with Christ. That means for you and for all of us, especially for you on this day, this public profession of faith is not for you the end. It in many ways is the beginning. It means that you are en route. You're still on your way. It means that all of us together are still on our way. We're on a journey. We're heading toward the goal, which is the fullness of God, complete maturity, knowledge, and unity in Christ. It's a tall order. How are we going to accomplish that? Well, it's all in the hands of our Heavenly Father. It's the work of no less than God. That's why Paul is praying all these things. And that's why we pray these things for you and for us all. And that's why all of this, this incredible temple-building work, is all for God's glory and praise because He is the master builder who is doing this work. Now to Him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.